The big dudes in the trenches are back in action. You know what it is and what it do. I got the whole crew up in this joint. We're about to start a podcast. I'm Doug. Over here we got Tug. Over there we got Bug. And oh shit, it's about to go down. I'm just going to go ahead and say I wish I was feeling as good as Doug is right now. You could say that again. I thought you were about to say it again. I was going to be happy about it, but no, all right. Party party pooper over there. Let's, let's just get in the news. How's that sound, boys? <laughs> Ain't nothing to it but to do it. Since this is a podcast primarily about bears, it's important to know that they are intelligent animals with far superior navigation skills to humans. I was, you know? I was just going to highlight, not not the bears, the football team, like actual bears. Also important to note that apparently bears love to hang out in Arlington, Illinois, just northwest of the city of Chicago. That's where the McCaskies and Churchill Downs jointly bought some property together not that long ago. And then Churchill Downs came out and said, "Now nah, we don't want to race horses there. Are you kidding me? We want world-class football facilities on this property that has got to be incredible news for you bug what do you think about this well uh i think there is still a possibility that we'll put a horse track out there they just probably won't be using the one that's already there but as i've said before i've never actually been to a bears game at soldier field that being said the stadium is the smallest in the nfl there's issues with the grass year in and year out the history of Soldier Field is all but gone, honestly, with the renovations that were made uh, back in, what, 2004, I think it was. I don't love the bear, the, you know, that this basically points to the bears are definitely moving. I don't love it. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and say I do, but it's going to be a better facility in the end, and the bears are going to be better for it. The only people that might be upset about it are the is city of Chicago mayor Lori Lightfoot, who has pretty much had her head in the ground about this whole thing, and she, she just needs to realize it's happening. There's very little you can do to stop it. So I'm curious to see how this all ends up shakes out in the end. But for right now, it's looking like there's very little to anything the city of Chicago can do to keep the bears in Chicago. The the thing to highlight too, though, is you say they're moving, but, the, but it's not like they're relocating. There's, there's a big difference there. There's very few NFL stadiums that are actually in the city or state that they call home. Uh, for instance, like you have the New York jets, New York giants who play in New Jersey. You've got the Miami dolphins who aren't in Miami proper. They're actually in Miami gardens, Florida. You've got, uh, what is it, the the Rams and the Chargers who play out of Inglewood, California. Like, a lot of these teams go into the suburbs because there's more land there and allows them to expand the way they want to. So this isn't a bad move. I'm actually surprised it took them this long to do it. But like you said, that stadium had a lot of history to it. It's just, it's, I mean, I'm looking at the costs, the estimated costs you have here, and it's just beyond repair at this point. You can't justify the repair to keep it in Chicago. You can't justify the repair, and with the fact that it lost its uh, 
historic landmark status when they planted the spaceship on the top there. How can you really justify wanting to stay there for the history of it? Yeah, I don't know. Soldier Field is okay, but it isn't what it used to be. And uh, they certainly need some better facilities. So Arlington's a great opportunity for them there. But let's also talk about another team that doesn't have their stadium exactly in the city that they're named after. The uh, the William Frederick Cody's of New York here. I'm talking about the Buffalo Bills. I thought it was the Orchard Park Bills. Damn it. <laughs> they're getting a new stadium as well. This has been rumored for quite some time now. But they finally had their stadium survey team come out with a actual study talking about what it would take to get a new stadium either in Orchard Park again, in downtown Buffalo, even talking about all of the different possibilities. They are recommending an open air stadium in Orchard Park, but not renovating, getting actually a new stadium, which sounds pretty awesome to me. And if they're actually going to build on the site that this survey recommended, it would be where the current parking lot is. So the bills aren't going anywhere. It's pretty good news. And also love, got to love the open air construction. That would make it insanely difficult to have parking for game day while construction's going on. If they could figure it out at the Meadowlands, they'll figure it out in Orchard Park. I mean, that's fair. The only thing I had to say to this is looking again, I, I messed up earlier. The numbers we have on here are for the bills. Whoever came up with a new construction cost annoys me inherently because they have it set at one thousand three hundred fifty-four million. Well, that's as the way I wrote it because I'm a finance guy and I know what I'm talking about. So but, but one point three billion would have justified and said the same thing. Yeah, but it's more clear and concise when you say one thousand three hundred fifty four million compared to eight hundred and sixty two million renovation which is what it is and you're trying to compare the two so it's important to keep them in the same units that's why i did that anyway (laughs) it annoys me watching that big big brain there (laughs) it also annoys me michael thomas being out for the rest of the season i think it annoys a lot of fantasy owners with the same ankle injury that he was out for last season with and there's a reason Michael Thomas was never all that successful at Ohio State. When he got healthy with Drew Brees, he was something else. When he's not healthy and with not Drew Brees, he is something. But it's just not the same. You hate to see it, too, because he's a guy like... He's a guy, when you see his name, it definitely elicits a, oh, this guy's a top receiver in the NFL conversation. But you can't be a top receiver in the NFL if you're never playing, right? The best ability is availability. And if you're always hurt and it's always the same thing, I don't know. It's it's tough to really supplant yourself anywhere on best at anything lists. Speaking of guys who are always hurt, Chris McCaffrey's back from injury. That's got to be good news for Panthers. For for now. I think if if I'm a Panthers fan, the thing that's most encouraging is that Shuba Hubbard's been serviceable enough that they can work him into a rotation with Christian McCaffrey a little bit more. Maybe that'll help prevent some injuries down the road for CMC. 
we'll just have to see how they use him going forward. The one thing I am concerned about, too, is Matt Rule seems to be well passed through coaching in the NFL. It's starting to get very, uh, very apparent that he's starting to maybe rethink his decision to go up and coach the uh, Carolina Panthers. Don't don't say that too loud or we're going to get rumors of him going to USC next. (laughs) That'd be exciting. I don't know if the rumors of him being done with the Panthers are necessarily true, but I know the rumors about him being done with Sam Darnold definitely are true. <laughs> PJ um, Walker's making a start this weekend. Yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately, I don't know that PJ Walker is full-time starter material as much as I want him to be. The you know, only, you know, I was going to say, the last thing I want to add to this CMC conversation, because that's where this started as, much as we just got derailed. The last thing I want to add to this is, Ben, you said it earlier this week, there's very few three-down backs in the NFL that you're able to play three downs, uh, the exception being Derrick Henry. And I think CMC's in that in that category now where he's not that three-down back that he used to be. I'm with you. I think Chuba Hubbard being in there and being serviceable is going to be fantastic because he's going to give Christian time off, certain plays off, and give him a chance to succeed. I know you had to loop it back around to talk about Chuba Hubbard. He gives you the yeah, full that, chub. Yeah, that was entirely it. The full chuba. Tugga's got a full chuba. But I had a great transition there to talk about Jordan Love, and it just didn't happen for me. So we're going to talk about Jordan Love now. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers is not playing for the Packers this weekend. And... uh no idea how Jordan Love's going to do. We haven't really seen him at all anywhere. Like, even nobody's even talking about him in training camp or practice. So, Jordan Love's kind of been this almost pariah in Green Bay. <laughs> hey, if he performs well, you know, winning cures a lot of things. Not the COVID, I, though. Not the COVID, though. And I actually have him as my player to watch, so I'll talk about him a little bit more later. I kind of want to talk about this whole Aaron Rodgers thing because it sounds like he lied to the Packers and in turn the Packers are going to get in trouble with the NFL because he is unvaccinated. It's a very interesting situation that's going on here and I don't know what the full ramifications of it are going to be. Really, it seems pretty up in the air what's going to happen to who in this too. It's tough. I don't really know if he lied to the Packers. I don't know how you hold them liable without suspending him. But the only thing I really can say is homeopathic medicine really doesn't work. So I don't want to hear about it. I think it's going to be a little column A, a little column B, because all this stuff still happened at the Packers facility. So you can't completely let them off the hook but I do definitely think that Aaron Rodgers is more responsible for how all this is shaken out if anything though we can at least thank him that Blake the Boat Bortles is back in action in the NFL as a backup for Jordan Love but man it's been a it's been an interesting week for the Packers as far as the quarterback position goes I will say the Packers or not the Packers Aaron Rodgers might have played himself here because if the Packers do get sanctioned Jordan loves comes out and plays outside his mind, you know, for at least this game, if not the next few games, if Aaron Rodgers does get suspended, if I'm the Packers, I'm moving on to Jordan love and Aaron Rodgers, 100%, you know, 
complained his way out of Green Bay, talked Randall Cobb back into Green Bay, and then COVID himself <laughs> out once again. Isn't this the same kind of situation we were just talking about with Mike White? And the the difference is Jordan loves a first round pick, and everybody's expecting him to be the future of Green Bay. Like there, anyone outside of the Green Bay front office was expecting Jordan Love to actually turn into the future of the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> Conveniently, the Green Bay front office is the one making the decision on this. Fair enough. <laughs> Let's talk about the quarterback he's going to be going up against here this weekend. Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs have been having a rough time of things as of late. But uh, really interesting, a petition to bench Patrick Mahomes has come up out of nowhere. For for the greatest quarterback, Chad Henney. That was a quote out of the out of the petition. I I can't even deal with this. I really don't want to talk about it because if you look, and I'm going to talk about this later too, if you look at Patty Mahomes' actual interceptions this year, most of them are because his receivers can't catch a ball. But have you, Henna, seen what Henny can I do? I hate you. I hate you. <laughs> the only thing I'll say is, what was it, last week, maybe even earlier this week, Tyron Matthew came out and said, we have the most toxic fans in the NFL, talking about Chiefs fans. There's more truth to that than I think anybody wants to admit, because if you're literally going from, oh, this is the goat versus the kid in, you know, the most recent Super Bowl here to bench Patrick Mahomes. It's a pretty large leap that you've made there. I don't care what happens. He is wrong. The most toxic fan base in the NFL is the Dallas Cowboys. Very different kind of toxic, but I'll agree with you. <laughs> I think that's all we got for NFL news. Let's jump into some college stuff. Most of this is conference realignment talk. I know the Conference USA is out of its luck a little bit here, but it sounds like they are adding a couple of teams. Liberty and New Mexico State have apparently agreed, at least in principle, to join Conference USA along with Sam Houston State and Jacksonville State coming up from the FCS. So UConn may be interested as a football-only member. They want to stay in the Big East for everything else, but that wouldn't be enough. So NCAA rules and FBS conference need to have, needs to have eight-plus members. This here would put them at seven and UConn would be an eighth associate member. They need eight plus full members to be an FBS conference still. So we're going to have to see what else Conference USA can pull out of their hat. They can't be done just yet if they want to stay alive. McNeese State is joining the WAC, though. Pretty interesting here. If you think you haven't heard of that name in a long time, you would be right. The WAC hasn't sponsored football since about 2013. But they're back in action, sponsoring football in the FCS this year for the first time in that long. And they have the goal of being an FBS conference once again. That's going to be a little bit of a ways off here. I want to run through the current members of the WAC because I'm sure nobody knows this. (laughs) I didn't know this until today. So they have most of their members in the state of Texas. McNeese State being in Louisiana is the furthest east that they will be. 
But in Texas, they have Abilene Christian, Lamar, Stephen F. Austin, Tarleton State, and the University of Texas, Rio Grande Valley. And then in Utah, they have Utah Valley, Dixie State, and Southern Utah. They have Grand Canyon University in Arizona. They have the University of Seattle and California Baptist. So very interesting, eclectic mix of teams, I would say. Uh, Chicago State just left the WAC after this fiscal year. So McNeese State is almost their replacement there. And I thought New Mexico State was going to join everybody here in the WAC, but it sounds like they're joining the Conference USA instead, which I certainly don't blame them for. So so looking at this, um, especially with the rumors that New Mexico State's going to be headed to the uh, Conference USA, if the WAC wants to go FBS, just based on the numbers we just said, they're two teams short. They need a couple of their full members to uh, pick up football teams. They've got 12 members from what I'm seeing now, uh, not including Chicago State, which is on its way out, um, six of which do not have football. So that's going to be that's going to be an issue for them moving forward if they do want to be an FCS or FBS team. I know there were a few other teams considering joining the WAC, but it hasn't happened yet. I know Incarnate Word is considering it. I know um, one other school I can't remember at the, right now. McNeese. No. Um. No, it was uh, so I know there. I know there were a couple other teams considering joining the WAC here, talking about Incarnate Word and Houston Baptist, but those haven't happened yet. So if they if they do, that would be two more FCS football teams joining the conference. That would be a big deal. We'll see if that actually happens, though. Right now, all we know is McNeese State. It's fair enough. One other bit of news here. Again, talking about FCS teams, JMU, James Madison University, has just approved a transition to the FBS, according to their board of directors and the state board that governs them. But the conference they're currently in, the Colonial Athletic Association, that's not cool, I guess, apparently. <laughs> they don't like that very much. So JMU is being kind of railroaded here. They're not going to be allowed to participate in any CAA championship games in the meantime here before they join the Sun Belt. That's kind of gross to me. And I think the CAA ought to get over themselves. But what do I know? So I know we're a football podcast, but if you're a JMU baseball player and you are a junior this season, you have yet to have a real normal college baseball season. Of course, in 2019, that season, 2019, 2020, had to deal with COVID, uh, actually just canceling the season mid, you know, mid-season. And then last year, even last this past spring, there was even just a wonky shortened season. You know, things still weren't quite back to normal. And even this year, they won't be. But now these kids don't even get a chance to play for a conference championship. It's just, it's petty to me. It, it's not right. They did the same thing to Old Dominion when they left for Conference USA as well. But I don't know. It just, it doesn't sit right with me at all. 
I mean, th- I was going to say, this also isn't the first time they've done it, is it? No, it, Old Dominion. Yeah. Five, six years ago. I understand where, where the CAA is coming from. It's still trash. I don't like it. Um, but I can see where they're coming from with a, hey, you guys are leaving us. You don't get our hardware. I, see, that kind of sucks, though, because they are still members of the CAA right now I, and will be for another two, three years, probably. Like I said, it's trash. Well, no, with this now, if I'm JMU, I'm pushing, uh, I'm True. pushing the fun belt to come up next year. There's no reason not to at this point. I don't know uh, if that's legally possible according to NCAA rules, but I'm sure they'll be doing everything they can to get out of FCS as soon as possible. So, one thing yeah. we've always realized is NCAA rules don't apply when there's money on the line. Very true. Big facts. Some other college news to wrap things up before we get going here. Some allegations have come out about a potential first-round caliber linebacker down at Georgia. Um, Some bad news there. Hey, props to Georgia, though, taking some correct, corrective action for the first time we've ever seen from an an SEC school. Uh, Not not just an SEC school, from pretty much any FBS school. Um, I mean – the laundry list of teams that have or programs that have jacked up this type of allegation in the wrong kind of way. And it's the number one team in the country right now too. Yeah. By every, by every metric, the number one team in the country. Like it, I huge, huge props to Georgia on this one. Absolutely insane. I've gained a lot of respect for them and for Kirby smart. If you haven't seen what's going on and you're confused right now, it is some sexual assault, maybe worse type allegations don't really know what happened yet but georgia suspended the guy immediately and indefinitely and uh if anything is proven about this i'm sure he'll be removed from the team asap so very very big props to georgia for that uh certainly like you guys were saying can't say the same would have happened at penn state baylor michigan state you know I yes. was just gonna leave it at a laundry list. We're just gonna start calling them out. I love it. I can't stand schools that still get to exist oh, I, I agree. when they have covered I... up this kind of deal. So LSU is on that list as well. Apparently Ohio State is too. So I mean, nobody's safe. I will say to try and leave on a little bit of a higher note if you are finding us because you saw our trench ratings on facebook or on twitter and you were interested in how they worked i was the one i'll pretty much run all of our social media tug occasionally takes over for me when i'm busy uh but for the most part i'm the one running all the social media here and i didn't have anything to do with putting together the trench ratings i don't have the best understanding of exactly how they work so Doug, you want to take it away and give us a uh, synopsis of how these trench ratings are formulated every week? That is a fun and exciting question. I'm so glad that you asked me. Especially (laughs) if you're a data science nerd like Doug is. So after every week of college football, I go in to, I have like essentially a database here of every team in the FBS, all 130 of them. I manually update their win-loss records and a bunch of stats here. So the way traditional stats are done, 
everything is just measured by yards. So the number one offense in the country is going to be the number one, the team with the most offensive yards total. The number one defense in the country is usually just listed as the team who has allowed the fewest yards. Well, my philosophy was that doesn't really sound right to me because you have to take into account who these teams have actually played, right? So when I update all these stats, it all feeds into each other and then bounced off of each other, right? So you get a, essentially a, a yards per play and then like almost an expected yards per play for your opponents. And so then depending on how well each team has done compared to how well they are expected to do against their opponents, you get some offensive and defensive grades for these teams. You can really build a better profile of how these teams are doing over the course of the season. So it's really kind of funky, and I know that my offensive and defensive grades don't align perfectly with what everyone expects them to look like, um, but I think it's a more accurate representation of college football. So instead of having Georgia as the number one defense, which I know everyone in the world has Georgia as the number one defense for all sorts of reasons, based on these statistics that I'm pulling in, like yards per play, I'm looking at red zone percentages, uh, turnovers, penalties, all these you know, scoring differential, all these sorts of different stats. Wisconsin has a better defense than Georgia. And I know they're four and four, and it doesn't sound right. It doesn't make sense. But number one defense is Wisconsin for me. Number two is Georgia, right? And in offense, everyone's talking about Ohio State's offense the past few weeks. They're the number one offense of the country, right? Well, not according to the big dudes in the trenches. Number one offense of the country is Texas. Number two is Ohio State. Based on how they've actually played against who they've played against, it's very different. It's very, it's kind of counterintuitive. But once you realize it's really just a measure of how well your team has performed versus how you're expected to perform against the teams that you have played, it's, I think it's pretty fair. I think it's reasonable. The, the big thing to highlight here is we're not just looking at the surface level stats that everybody else looks at. You know, like Doug said, that the yards per game, uh, we go beyond that. We don't even just look at scoring plays per game. We, we take everything into account from your discipline with your penalties, your third down conversion percentages are in there. Like everything is calculated into it. So it's more than just the surface level stats most people look at. We dig deeper into the full story of the game with all of the stats. And this is why, like, especially when I'm picking games to watch, which we're about to get into here in a second, ironically, but when I'm picking these games, I try and make sure it's a game that I can watch. So if you haven't noticed the trend, when I'm not picking a Memphis or a Bears game, I'm normally picking a game that's in a different time slot from either of those two teams because a stat line can only tell you so much. I hate that I had to kind of do it this, you know, this last week with the college game that I picked. But that's why I do it, because you only know so much about the game by looking at the stat sheet from the from the result. Yeah, but we think we can learn quite a fair bit about a team from their stats as long as we contextualize them the right way, which is kind of what the BD2 trench ratings is trying to do. So I know it was very controversial 
<laughs> that the team up north didn't even drop. They're still number two in the trench ratings after losing to Michigan State. But based on the teams they have played and how they have performed over the course of the games that they have actually played so far, uh, it's it's uh, supported by some data. So, and And it's important to highlight, too, that they did drop, maybe not in the actual ranking, but in in the rating that we give them, and that's a very specific difference there, right? They were on pace with Georgia previously, and they fell off significantly after that loss. So that's that is something big that we do take into account too. Yeah. So if you've seen the ratings, you'll know that number one team gets a hundred points. We've standardized it in that way. There is no minimum. Technically, you can go as low as negative infinity. In theory, I guess there are some teams in the negative. If you want to talk about that, the worst team in the FBS right now is uh, is rated as a negative 27. <laughs> it's the University of Connecticut. But number one is 100 points. And number two, team up north, was at like a 96 last week. They're Now they're at an 86. So they dropped significantly. But that's how big the gap was between Georgia and and almost everybody else in the country. It's really impressive what Georgia's been doing this season. I got to say, they're a pretty terrifying team. Now that we've covered uh, what we're going to talk about next week, when we get back to the trench rings again, how about uh, how about we jump into some previews, boys? We got some good ones to preview. Let's do it. So we got some fun rivalry games to all talk about here i want to go first because i'm talking about the sunflower showdown which has got to be one of the greatest rivalry names in existence for one the of greatest the one is games. still duck face beaver carnage it's not official no. yet i don't care now the sunflower showdown sounds so cheesy <laughs> that i'm very happy it exists but Kansas State and Kansas fight every year for the Governor's Cup. And man, it's probably going to be a good game this year because Kansas, this is the same Jayhawks team that just gave Oklahoma real, real run for their money. And this is the same Wildcats team that's, what, four and four? Like, they're not all that good either. So it's in Lawrence. And man, I'm thinking this might be a good game. I know Kansas State has won the last 12, but... Are you surprised? <laughs> no. What I am surprised at is that Kansas actually leads the all-time series and by a pretty wide margin as well. Well, they won the at last... least four years in a row with Gale Sears, so there's that. The only time these two teams have ever met as when they were both ranked was 1995. And they have been playing for this will be the 119th meeting so pretty incredible <laughs> jesus these are two very mediocre at best programs at the same time sometimes that's the best football you'll ever find so i am hyped for the sunflower showdown <laughs> as you should be <laughs> i'll go next my game is number 12 baylor at tcu I don't know that this is going to be a good game at all. I really don't think it will be. I think Baylor's probably going to run away with it, but I love Jerry Kill. I hope that there is some way 
he's able to get this team to rally around him, and they give Baylor at least a good run for their money here. No, that's a fair point. You never know what's going to happen in rivalry games, generally speaking. Guys, I am I'm doing it. I'm going with the homer pick. It's, I know, shocking, unexpected. Um, but, hey, this game has a name now. And it's a neutral site rivalry game, so I really – there's just a lot adding to it. Um, we have the Commander's Classic, which is Army versus Air Force. It is going down to Arlington, Texas. No, unfortunately, they're not playing at AT&T Stadium. In fact, they're playing at Globe Life Park right across the street, uh, home of the Texas Rangers in baseball. That part disappoints me. I hate the sight lines uh, when you put a football field on a baseball stadium. That's just a me thing. I can't stand it. But this is also, I think, the first time since they tried to get this series as annually at Soldier Field in the 60s that it's a neutral site game. So this is going to be really exciting to watch. I will Man, say the Dallas Renegades played at Globe Life Stadium as well, and they threw some uh, bleachers down where the foul line, I think, would be. And it actually looked like it was a pretty great place to catch a game at. So hopefully they do that for this game as, as well. From what I was looking at at tickets, they're not, at least what was available online. Uh, it's unfortunate, but I don't think so. I hope you're right. I hope to God you're right, but I do not believe they are. Uh, hey, what so do you I expect? the jig is up and the news got out. God they damn it. They found them. The Renegades, I mean, they had it made. But... <laughs> All right, now now that we're out of the song parody, <laughs> guys, what to expect out of this game is the <laughs> typical thing you can expect out of any service academy game. It's gonna be a lot of triple option, a lot of old school football, something that we all love here. Or at least I love here. I enjoy it. The Smash Mouth kind of pound it down the middle and uh, see what happens kind of game. Would not expect a lot of passes, but hey, you never know. You do love getting your mouth smashed. Oh Nowhere God. in that statement did I say mouth. You said smash mouth. You did say smash mouth. Oh, God damn it. Hey, didn't bring up you're an all-star. All okay. there, there it is. <laughs> Let's go ahead and make our picks here. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty straightforward this week. We're all picking some weird games. Um, it's probably going to be Baylor, Kansas State, and Air Force. Does anybody really disagree with that? I... Me? Oh my God, he's doing it. I'm actually going to take with Kansas. You completely, but oh my God, he's doing it. I'm actually going to take Kansas because... Because why the hell not? Why the hell not? But also, I mean, look at it. They just gave Oklahoma a very tough game. They're able to get fans in the stands for that one, even though ultimately it was because it was free. But, you know... I mean, yeah, that was two weeks ago. <laughs> wait, the last week wait. they lost like 60-7 to seven against <laughs> Oklahoma State. <laughs> Kansas State is not Oklahoma Yeah. We covered this. You were here for that episode. No, you weren't. That was the one you missed. They started letting fans into the stadium for free because they were beating Oklahoma at halftime. Yeah. (laughs) Wild ride. Hey, if that happens again, they actually get a home environment. This might turn out differently. You're right. But I kind of doubt it. (laughs) We can drink it. I swear to God, if they make a rivalry game free, they should just cut their football program. (laughs) 
I mean, according to the if way they're you up at half, Middle they Tennessee. <laughs> if we follow your Middle Tennessee State logic, then they should have cut their program 12, 15 years ago. I don't think I have any disagreement with that on the podcast. <laughs> Let's talk about some bonus games, which, I don't know, might turn out better than our real games to watch, but we just didn't feel like taking them for some reason or other. Um, this first one, because I took Wake Forest, what, last week or two weeks ago, uh, but Wake Forest is playing a pretty tough matchup here at North Carolina. Probably going to be a lot harder than if they were home against North Carolina because that's the way the Tar Heels do it this year. You know, they they play like a top 15 team on at home, but they play like a bottom 15 team on the road. So Wake Forest is probably going to have their hands full here. Going to be a pretty interesting one to watch and probably the toughest test they've had so far this season, which is absolutely wild considering that they are 8-0. No. Um Auburn at Texas A&M ought to be pretty interesting. Hopefully sets up a good Iron Bowl. We'll have to see how Auburn can perform here. Michigan State at Purdue. Really only highlighting this one because it has trap game written all over it. I know the Spartans have to know that too, but it hasn't helped everybody in the past to be this blatantly obvious of a trap game. So going into Purdue at West Lafayette is just a bad time. Ask any Big Ten team ever. Isn't Purdue two and zero in their last two games against top five opponents? That's enough out of you. Uh, USC at Arizona State is probably going to be a really good one. Right now, they would be fighting for second place in the division, with Utah taking the lead in the Pac-12 South. But USC and Arizona State both have some great talent on them. I know Drake London, the receiver that I highlighted not that long ago, is out for the rest of this season, even without him. The USC offense is pretty dang good. Let's see if they can keep pace with the Arizona State offense, and let's see what this Pac-12 South division is really going to look like down the stretch. I I won't change my game, but now I kind of wish I'd taken Wake Forest, North Carolina. Because last year that ended up being one of the wildest finishes in college football because Sam Howell and Sam Hartman went off to finish that game. That fourth quarter had, I think, like 60 points. It was insane. Only reason I didn't take it is because I took Wake Forest not that long ago. And it was a game worth watching, too. So I'm not regretting that in the slightest. <laughs> Very true couple of FCS games to watch out for here. Missouri State at Southern Illinois and North Dakota State at South Dakota State. Two huge Missouri Valley Conference games here. Dakota marker already. Montana State at Eastern Washington. Ought to be pretty exciting. You know, still one of two remaining holdouts there on the colored turfs. Uh, Eastern Washington got that red field. If you can watch a game, it's not as painful as Boise State. So I do kind of recommend it, honestly. Really? You think the blue turf is harder to watch? I can't stand Boise State's turf. It looks like absolute garbage to me. At I've... least Boise State doesn't have that weird alternating gray and whatever other, the other color was. That was oh, Central Arkansas. Yeah. Oh, that, that was painful. <laughs> Central Arkansas was rough. <laughs> Uh, Coastal Carolina is a fun one, though. I like the teal. Anyway, they're not on this list. 
one more FCS game we wanted to highlight, uh, Southeastern Louisiana at Incarnate Word. This is a huge game for me personally. Cole Kelly against Cameron Ward, Cameron my two Ward. man crushes down to the FCS quarterbacks. <laughs> so <laughs> absolutely fascinated by this game. I'm really going to try to find this one and watch it. Um, it should be should be a pretty awesome game. But speaking of players that we love to watch, we have each picked out a player to watch out for in this week of college football. Who wants to take it? I can take mine. So I'm I'm going defensive on this. It's been a while since I've done it, so I'm going to go defensive on this. I'm going Noah Sewell, uh, linebacker for for the Oregon Ducks. Man, guys, did you know he has a tackle count of 69? Nice. nice. Honestly, he really is a, a stalwart for this uh, Oregon defense. And honestly, I'm looking for him to continue that play. He is currently on the watch list for the Buckus Award. And this is going to be one of the games Buckus. where he can make a case. Uh, make a major case to kind of be in the top five for that uh, going up against Washington this week. So I, I'm watching for Noah Sewell. I thought he was a, a duck, not a toad. What? How yeah, I'm confused a, too. How does he have a wart? I said stalwart. <laughs> what? <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. It's been a while since I've gone double quarterback, so I've given it away a little bit. Actually, I already said it already that uh, <clears throat> Jordan Love was going to be my NFL player, but Jack Cohn, quarterback at Notre Dame, is going to be my college player. And the reason I want to see this is because they play Navy this week. The way Cincinnati played against Navy has been a huge knock on them, especially in these most recent college football playoff committee rankings. I'm interested to see if Navy is able to contain Jack Cohn because I don't think Jack Cohn is as good of a quarterback as Desmond River. I do think he has a better offense around him, but I'm curious to see how he's able to play against this Navy defense. Before Doug gets into his, I do want to highlight this game a little bit too. This is a pseudo rivalry game. Navy typically schedules Notre Dame and somehow they're typically decent games, at least for the first half before Notre Dame pulls away or, you know, the once every 10 or so years that Navy pulls it out. So this this really is going to be an interesting game to watch because you really don't know what to expect out of it. So this is a really fascinating case. I wonder what would happen to Cincinnati if Navy were to pull this one out. Because while it would be bad for them in the case where you know, Notre Dame is no longer as highly ranked, it might be good for them in that, hey, maybe Navy is better than everyone was giving them credit for. This might legitimately be the only game Notre Dame can lose, and it helps Cincinnati. I'm very curious to see how this shakes out. We'll have to see how Jack Cohn performs in that one. But the guy I'm watching this weekend is Tyler Algier, running back for BYU. They're playing a pretty awful Idaho State Bengals team this weekend. So if you want to see a great running back go against some real shit defense. This is the perfect game to go watch. The reason I'm highlighting him, though, specifically, is I am looking to see if he can become the NCAA's leading rusher this week. He has a very good chance to do so. Syracuse has Sean Tucker on number one on the list right now. 
but Syracuse is on a bye this week. Kenneth Walker III is number two. He's playing against a pretty tough Purdue defense. Certainly gave Iowa plenty of fits. Let's see if number three, Tyler Algier, can jump all the way up to number one against this Idaho State Bengals defense that's been allowing infinite rushing yards to everyone else. So I'm really rooting for Tyler Algier, no former walk-on guy. If he can lead the NCAA in rushing yards this season, it's going to be really hard to keep the Burlesworth Award away from him. And you got to root for the guy to some extent. I mean, walk-on, being this close to leading the NCAA in something, that's incredible. And no comments from my peanut gallery. So I think that means it's time to ditch college and head to the pros. What do you guys say? Let's do it. Are we declaring for the draft? (laughs) God, I wish. (laughs) So I know you guys haven't had to deal with this yet because you're still active duty. But when I got out, I did actually have to declare for the draft and get my selective service card. So pretty exciting stuff. Jesus, I hate you. (laughs) I know. (laughs) At least you know. (laughs) We have some NFL games to talk about here. We have some NFL players to talk about as well. But we're going to start it off with uh, each of us have one game to watch. Who wants to go first? I'll go first uh, on this one because, honestly, I'm picking mine for all of the wrong reasons. Honestly, any reason you could have thought of at the beginning of the season why this would be a good game is not a factor right now. So I'm going Packers traveling down to Kansas City to take on the Chiefs. And like I said, this game's honestly interesting for all of the wrong reasons. You've got Patty Mahomes playing like a pedestrian quarterback. You've got Aaron Rodgers who is not playing because he got the COVID. Uh, So you got Jordan Love here. Man, I don't know really what's going on in Kansas City, but this could be a good game. For them to get back into a rhythm in playing Chiefs football. So that's that's what I'm looking out for here. Possibly exciting stuff, but probably not considering Jordan Love versus Chad Henney. <laughs> we're we're doing Patrick Mahomes to never is still get... starting. Do we know that for sure? Yes. <laughs> Maybe Andy Reid signed the petition. We don't know. Look, I Andy think we're Reed doomed. has not had a fake medical condition like Urban Meyer, so we're good to go. Gosh, we're doomed to never get the State Farm Bowl in the NFL. It's just not going to happen at this point. (laughs) My game is the Browns versus the Bengals because I love the rivalry. The Bengals coming off a tough loss, very tough loss. To Mike White of all people. To Mike White. And then you got the Browns who have had issues of their own this week. Um, Of course, speaking of all the drama surrounding Odell Beckham Jr., I think it's safe to say he's probably not playing this week. I mean, I can't confirm that, but if I'm a betting man, I'm betting he's probably not playing. I can pretty much confirm that for you here because the uh, Kevin Stefanski has come out and reportedly told his players to just consider OBJ not on the team anymore. Yeah, so... Not not the best uh, situation for uh, for the Browns to be going into this game. But I am still interested to see how this one shakes out. So we'll see what happens. Man, speaking of Mike White real quick, sucks to see him go down with an injury. 
tonight as we're recording this against the Colts. Josh Johnson is trying his darndest, but it's just not enough. His Oof. first, that first drive where he got hurt, I didn't obviously didn't watch the game last week. But the one thing I noticed about Mike White that makes me believe it wasn't going to be just a flash in the pan, and I think the Jets would be doing a lot better than 16-42 to 42 if he was still in the game. <laughs> he felt the pressure, but didn't let it rattle him. Was able to make his reads, and Eliza Mitchell, or Elijah Moore, sorry, running wide open downfield, that, ha- that helps too. I don't know if people aren't getting open otherwise, but... Man, there's there's very little that he wasn't doing well. Sucks to see. Sucks to see. But we have a whole other game to talk about here real quick. My pick for game of the week is Minnesota at Baltimore for a interesting enough reason, I guess. Uh, my reasoning is that neither of these teams have proved that they're any good. And both of them are really inconsistent. So I want to see which one of the Vikings teams and which one of the Ravens teams decides to play this weekend. If both the good iterations of these franchises show up this Sunday, it actually ought to be a really good game on paper. They're pretty evenly matched on the field. I kind of expect the Ravens to waltz away with this one pretty easily. Um, It's just the Vikings feel more inconsistent than the Ravens. If that makes sense. But both of them are a little bit loosey, and I don't know about it. <laughs> I'll start us off with our picks here. And Ben, you're right. I love the rivalry between the Bengals and the Browns, mostly because they both have this unknown or unfathomable, unfathomable affinity to Paul Brown. Uh, to the point where the Bengals stadium is named after him and the Cleveland Browns are just straight named after Paul Brown. Uh, I'm going with the Browns on this one. Uh, I think they're going to pull this one out. I know there's a lot of distractions going on, but I'm I'm leaning the Browns on this one, uh, especially after that performance from the Bengals last week. I think the Jets Wait. may have somehow exposed them. We have to address this real quick. Do you not know the story with Paul Brown? I know he was important to both both teams. He Don't... started both franchises. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> It's still funny to me that they both have some part of them that is named after him. You know what else is really cool is he also was the first coach to make Ohio State successful. So Paul Brown has influenced all three good football teams in the state of Ohio. I'm going to have very significantly. I'm going to caveat that with really Paul Brown started the Ravens franchise, not the current iteration of the Cleveland Browns. Shots fired. <laughs> I will. I will admit defeat. And and using that, I will springboard to my next pick, which is in fact the Paul Brown led Baltimore Ravens. <laughs> and then Paul I'm Brownless. I'm, yeah. <laughs> and then I'm I'm gonna take the the easy one here. Honestly, what I think is an easy one. I don't know how much I trust Jordan Love. I know he looks good in preseason. Typically, that's against the twos. I'm gonna go with the Chiefs on this one. I mean, the Chiefs are the twos this year, aren't they? <laughs> Actually, they're tied for the threes. Boom, got them. Uh, <laughs> I'm also taking the Chiefs, also taking the Ravens. I'm going to take the Bengals, though. The Browns just feel dysfunctional right now. Odell Beckham Jr. kind of quitting on them, or the Browns quitting on him. Either way, feels really bad. 
I don't know what to make of the Browns at the moment. We've talked about them quite extensively in the preseason, just, you know, recognizing for sure they are one of the most talented teams on paper in the NFL right now, legitimately. But, man, they do not play like it. And I'm going to take the Bengals. They have something working here. And I'm saying the Jets game was a fluke. I'm also going to say the Jets game was a fluke and agree with you. I'm going to take the Bengals here. I think they're a more complete team, even if the Browns still had OBJ. Uh, I'm also going to take the Ravens because Minnesota is Minnesota. And I'm going to take the Chiefs, too, because regardless of the fact that Patrick Mahomes is one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL right now, this season, I mean, he's still one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And he is absolutely going to outplay Jordan Love at his position. Both defenses are struggling and questionable. However, I also think the Chiefs have the edge there. I don't really know where you're going to be able to give anything to the Packers. They do have Devontae Adams coming back. That could be helpful for Jordan Love to have such a reliable target out there. I just don't see it, man. I'm going Chiefs. I cannot wait for the Browns, Vikings, and Packers to all win here and for me to go 0-3 again for like the third time this season. I'm so looking forward to that. (laughs) Did have a couple of bonus games here. No, we don't always have bonus games for the NFL, but when there are good games on the schedule, we like to highlight them. Chargers at the Eagles is certainly a pretty interesting storyline here. Two pretty good offenses, two not as good defenses. We'll have to see what comes of that. Uh, It is in Philadelphia, which you would think would help the Eagles, but I don't know. They played their best game in Detroit, so maybe maybe that's their home. In their in their defense, that was in fact against the Lions, which I mistakenly and dumbassly took. But you know, <laughs> I'm impressed. This is only a two point spread going towards the uh, the Chargers here, two point favorite. That seems very very low to me for how poorly the Eagles have played most of the season. Big facts. Also not the biggest fan of Jalen Hurts, but, you know. I don't think the Eagles are either, so you're not alone there. I I think this spread is skewed because the Eagles are actually really good against the spread this year because of how good Jalen Hurts is in garbage time. Sometimes it really do be like that. Uh, also, bonus game to watch out for. Titans at the Rams this weekend. The Rams are... Seven and a half point favorites. I'm sure that would have been much lower if Derrick Henry were playing, but instead we might get ourselves a healthy dose of Adrian Peterson for the first time since about this week last year. I mean, really cool to see him back out there. Well, and you know, Ryan Tannehill might get an unhealthy dose of that Rams defensive line, but no, I, I was tempted to take this game as my game to watch, but it was the primetime game. I don't know how to predict this one because the Rams have been good and you can predict they're going to be good all year, but the Titans have been on and off literally all season. You never know which Titans team you're going to get. It hurts not having Derrick Henry. It's probably going to go the Rams way on this one, but it's worth watching because, you know, maybe you get that one week uh, for the next three weeks that Tennessee shows up and balls out. 
It is absolutely wild to me that the New York football Jets have two wins on the season and they are against the two leading AFC teams, the Titans and the Bengals. The two best teams in the conference have lost I to the worst team. I don't want to hear this. You are hurting me again, man. <laughs> don't wait. <It> just. <laughs> don't I am wait. sitting in the what cellar of the <laughs> AFC East. Can you stop hurting me? Well, let me get to my player to watch. I'll hurt you even more. Terod Taylor's coming back for the Houston Texans. And oh boy, let me tell you something really nifty about him. The last time he started a game, they were beating the Cleveland Browns until he got hurt. The time before that, where he was starting a game, that's the only win of the Texans season was week one when Terod Taylor was starting. And we were all sitting here saying, wow, the Texans actually look better than we expected. Is this another situation where we call a team garbage and then they come out and make the playoffs? <laughs> and then, and then Taylor, Taylor got, hurt. got hurt. And the Texans look awful with Davis Mills. Gotta say, do not understand why that guy was a third round pick. Probably should be undrafted based on the way he's been playing. But Terod Taylor, man, when he's in the game, it is worth watching the Texans for real. So also want to consider, even without Terod Taylor, these teams have played roughly similar this season. I'm talking about, I know the Dolphins have played the Bills twice. The first time they played them, they were shut out 35 to nothing. All right, the Texans have also played the Bills. They were shut out 40 to nothing. That's the two shutouts the Bills have on the season. So for the scores to have been that close, if we're trying to use the transitive property here, they, the Texans were only five points worse than the Dolphins without Terod Taylor. Let's get a real quarterback in there. Well, hold on. If you're going to do Terod that, Taylor you, have might to say, do well. you have to say Miami was five points better without Tua Tungavailoa. I mean, also fair, but I'm just waiting to see what Terod Taylor can do. Because... I know, and he's been Miami, like he has been a thorn in Miami's side since his days in Buffalo. This actually hurts me to, like when the news was, I predicted this on, what, Tuesday when we recorded that he was going to be cleared to play this week. I think you predicted this week three, <laughs> the first like, game he was out. He's like, oh man, he's going to come back for the Dolphins, isn't he? Like, <laughs> I just, I am almost yep. done with this football season and and this might be the one that makes me done with it. I'll go next. <laughs> Everybody knows already. I've already said it multiple times. I'm taking Jordan Love. Because I do think he was drafted He was drafted higher than deserved, more than I thought Mitch ever was. And I thought Mitch was drafted way – Mitchell Trubisky, obviously. I thought he was drafted way too high for what he is and what he ended up being in the NFL. That being said – this is this is a peek into the future of the Green Bay Packers. So it's not just, you know, me being vindictive and wanting irrefutable proof that Jordan Love is not the guy that the Packers want him to be and are going to need him to be whenever Aaron Rodgers retires or, you know, just decides he doesn't want to play for the Packers anymore. I don't know even how to guess what he's going to do I just want to see if he can do anything. 
big facts. That's totally fair. Like like you said, it's an unknown commodity right now. I don't know quite what we're getting out of out of Jordan Love, and it'll be interesting to see what he brings to the table. All right, guys, I'm going to break the rules. Um, I'm going to take a plethora of players to watch this week, but I'm going to take it in one unit. Uh, I'm going to watch the entire the entirety of the Chiefs receiving core. Guys, we, we said at the top of the show here in the news segment that Patty Mahomes is already facing a petition to bench him as a $500 million man because, and I quote, he is stealing time from from the future of the franchise in Chad Henney. Literal quote off of the petition. They're citing his interceptions and how he's not playing well. Look, those it, most of those interceptions are not on Patty Mahomes. A lot of them are coming off tip balls from his receivers that should have been catches. Tyreek has done it. Travis Kelsey has done it. His typical weapons to the point where Patrick Mahomes has come out and said, hey, I need to trust my weapons more because he's losing trust in them. If the Chiefs are going to get back to 500 this week and if they are going to play well and make a statement in this week, that receiving core needs to catch the ball. And if we're being honest, this is a good secondary outside of Jair Alexander, who I'm not sure if he's still playing, like if he's playing or if he's still out. Um, but it's a good secondary to find your rhythm and get back to playing the football that you know how to play. Hey, sounds fair to me. You're, you're losing it, man. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go ahead and lead us in. Does uh, anybody have anything else before we head to the greatest time of the week? Let's jump right into bracket time. What do you say? Oh, let's do it. It's bracket time, baby. It's bracket time up in this piece. All right, guys. It absolutely is bracket time. I'm ready to go. We've got some fantastic matchups listed out there. My panelists here, are you guys ready to go? I'd say we are. What do you say, Doug? I'm so ready. I am, like, beyond excited that bracket time is back in my life. I needed it. I missed it. <laughs> so let's get right on into it. <laughs> All right, guys. Man. Our first matchup of the week is Joe Burrow, the quarterback out of LSU in 2019, taking on the 1974 version of Archie Griffin, the running back out of Ohio State. Twitter went the same way as the national media in 2019 and voted Joe Burrow on this. Where are you guys at? Yeah, basically everybody voted for Joe Burrow that year. It's going to be so hard to beat him, man. That season he had set so many records, 60 touchdowns on six interceptions, 5,700 yards, basically just unreal. You know, there's a reason that Joe Brady got an NFL job right after that season. There's a reason Dave Aranda got a head coaching job after that season. He was on the defensive side of the ball. And everyone was like, let's just give all these LSU guys jobs. <laughs> Joe Burrow went from like a a day three pick at best to the number one overall pick based on this season alone. That is a Heisman Trophy winning season. And I love you, Archie, with all my heart. But I'm voting for a different Ohio State graduate this time around. Um, I think even just looking at his particular season, obviously comparing stats between 
2019 and 1974 is very difficult. So I'm just going to look at what Joe Burrow did against his peers. Uh, he had 60 touchdown passes. And of Heisman finalists, the next closest was Justin Fields with 41 touchdown passes. He threw for 5,671 yards. The next closest was Jalen Hurts, who threw for 3,851 yards <laughs> in the Big 12. Right. I I do wish I could justifiably give a vote to Archie Griffin other than, you know, hey, he won it twice. This was the better of his two years. But it's really tough when Joe Burrow had this season legitimately one of the best college football seasons by a player ever. No no recency bias even involved in that. No, that's that's fair enough. That'll move on Joe Burrow into our next round. Moving on down the bracket, we have my personal favorite, Johnny Lujak, quarterback out of Notre Dame in 1947, taking on Eddie George, a running back out of, uh, oh, yeah, Ohio State in 1995. Twitter's giving Eddie George love. Do you guys agree? Yeah, I mean, at some point, it's got to catch up to him, right? Johnny Lujak, quarterback in 1947. He just doesn't have the stats to compete with the modern guys. So at one at what point do we start to take that into consideration, right? It's possible that it's this week. Because Eddie George had one hell of a season, man. I know we have been given Johnny Lujak some love as well because he was a multi-sport athlete. He basically did everything at Notre Dame. Dude's unreal. Just as a guy, man. Eddie so, George, I don't know if he can beat Eddie George. Uh, on the one hand... I think the the way we've done our standings in this when we built the bracket, the percentage of Heisman vote does have to play into it a little bit. So I do kind of still want to give a little bit of credence to Johnny Lujak. But I also want to throw out here, especially when we're talking about some of these older players that we absolutely didn't get to see, probably a lot of you listening don't even know more than a handful of people that got to see any of these guys play or were alive when any of these guys play is probably a better way of putting it. When you look at some of the guys Johnny Lujak beat out, specifically Doak Walker and Chuck Bednarik, they left a much bigger impact on the game than Johnny Lujak did, and I think that is probably more important than the fact that Johnny Lujak got 74% of the Heisman voting in his season versus the 52% that Eddie George got. I say all that to say, as much as I kind of want to give a little bit more and I want to go Johnny Lujak. I really can't. Eddie George is, to me, the biggest name on here. Obviously, Danny Warfel's on here. Peyton Manning's on here. Keyshawn Johnson's on here. But just the way Eddie George was able to run from all the time that I got to see him play, I've got to go with Eddie George. Setting up a very interesting matchup with Joe Burrow taking on Eddie George the next time we visit this side of the bracket. Moving on down to our next matchup, we have Cam Newton, the quarterback out of Auburn in 2010, taking on Charles Woodson, 
the cornerback and punt returner out of Michigan in 1997. And guys, I got to tell you, Twitter swept it with Charles Woodson on this one. Do you agree? Off of purely passing stats, it's like no contest. Cam Newton doesn't even look like a real quarterback. You include the rushing stats, his touchdowns balloon. It's like unreal. Cam Newton had an incredible season. I think what really happened, though, for him to end up winning the Heisman was the story around Auburn, because Auburn had been not really that good until Cam Newton got there and won a national championship with them. And then they became not good again right after. So it definitely was Cam Newton spurring that on, right? And that season was truly something special for him and for all of Auburn and all of Auburn's fans. But Charles Woodson is just on another level, honestly. To win it as a defensive back is next to impossible. And Charles Woodson did the impossible. I, I'm honestly surprised that you didn't want to try and find more reason to go with Cam Newton because, you know, obviously Charles Woodson went to your favorite school in all of God's green earth, the University of Michigan. I am going to go with Cam Newton, though, and it's for all the reasons that you specifically pointed out. As much as this is an award against your peers, what he was able to do for Auburn and how he elevated that team after he got there, transferring from the University of Florida. That says a lot to me about just how good he was outside of the fact that he won the Heisman Trophy, right? To me, I've got to go Cam Newton here, not just to break up a clean sweep that I don't think is 100% warranted, but also because Cam Newton had a fantastic season and was a fantastic college football player. That's certainly fair, but also... I mean, everybody knows Charles Woodson still <laughs> for just the incredible season he had on multiple fronts, uh, two facets of the game, right? Just, wow. Fair enough. That'll move on. Charles Woodson taking on the winner of our next matchup. We have O.J. Simpson, the halfback out of USC in 1968, taking on the tank himself, Derrick Henry, the running back out of Alabama in 2015. And gentlemen, Twitter's going with Derrick Henry. Does Derrick Henry win this battle of the running backs? I think this one was a purely statistical win on Twitter. Because, yes, just looking at the numbers, Derrick Henry looks to be the better player. However, you have to take into account how many games they played. Derrick Henry only has, what, 300 more yards and five more touchdowns. He played four extra games on O.J. Simpson. And what O.J. really was able to do in those 11 games that he played was, I mean, beyond comprehension for the time. Just the way he really kicked off this era of USC football and the rich tradition of incredible running backs coming out of that program. I'm going to vote for OJ Simpson. I'm torn on this 
because I absolutely think Alabama still has a fantastic season in 2015 without Derrick Henry. But what I think is worth pointing out, and we've done this a few times, is looked at the guys that did not win the Heisman that year, the the other finalists. You got a sophomore Christian McCaffrey, a sophomore Deshaun Watson, and a junior Baker Mayfield, who, by the way, goes on to win the Heisman Trophy his senior season. Then in fifth place, you've got Keenan Reynolds from a season that I still remember and think, especially looking at the fact that McCaffrey and Watson were both sophomores. I wish the Heisman Trophy had kept a little bit of its tradition and focused more on juniors and seniors. That's a very different discussion, though. I definitely think Keenan Reynolds should have been in the Final Four there. Then you got Leonard Fournette, Dalvin Cook, Ezekiel Elliott, Connor Cook, and Trayvon Boykin rounding out the top ten here. I don't know how you can really say that the peers of O.J. Simpson in 1968 are the same caliber of player as what Derrick Henry was able to be. I don't know everything that the committee uh, looked at and said, you know what, he is absolutely better than all the guys that I just listed. I don't know kind of what their thought process on that was, but looking at it, he was absolutely the best running back out of this group. I kind of got to go with Derrick Henry. And I, I do understand what you're saying. I wish I could agree with you more about OJ Simpson, I, I when I when I look at the guys he beat, it's Derrick Henry. Fair enough. That'll move on Derrick Henry to take on Charles Woodson. Moving on down our list. I've got a fun matchup here. We've got Reggie Bush, the running back out of USC in 2005, taking on RG3, the quarterback out of Baylor in 2011. Guys, I don't know if I agree here, but Twitter went with uh, RG3. What are you guys thinking? Do you want to kick us off here, Bug? Because I'm having a hard time, honestly. I think RG3 is definitely the more likable of the two. Uh, you know, obviously Reggie Bush had his Heisman Trophy rescinded, although I don't agree with that. We don't agree with that at all either. That's why he's on this list. And I know, again, we're not talking about the NFL here, but nobody wanted to see any football player succeed more in the NFL than I think people want to see RG3 succeed. Maybe that played into it a little bit as well as to why he ended up winning our vote on Twitter. I simply don't agree. And I don't think you do either. I'll let you talk a little bit more here in a second. But we've talked about it a little bit on this show already about how there is so much talent on the Ohio State offense that for any of those guys to have a realistic shot at the Heisman is almost unfathomable to think of. Reggie Bush was also in that same situation with a quarterback. And as we talked about before, Quarterbacks typically win this award because, well, they're the quarterback. We're going to give it to them. Talking, of course, about Matt Leinert. Uh, Oh, by the way, he also had to go up against Vince Young, who was having an incredible season for Texas, too. Because of that, 
I'm going to go with Reggie Bush. I don't know that I've really said enough to get both of you on board to go against Twitter. So, Doug, I'll let you go next. I know one of the biggest things I like to do is look at this statistically and try to make the most rational decision possible. So when I'm looking at RG3, he had a great season, 4,300 yards in the air, 37 touchdowns, six picks, added 700 yards on the ground, and another 10 touchdowns. That's really awesome. I mean, for the era, though, I don't know that he was really that much better than Andrew Luck. I don't know that he really performed all that much better than Matt Barkley. Honestly, purely statistically, Case Keenum should have won the Heisman Trophy that year, but they're never going to give it to a Houston quarterback when you have these bigger-name guys at these bigger schools. So, and honestly, the best player that season was probably Russell Wilson. What Reggie Bush was able to do, again, purely statistically, 1,700 yards on the ground for him. He added another... I mean, what, 300 yards in the passing game? Another 500 yards on kick and punt returns? Plus a touchdown there? I mean, that's pretty incredible, too. I think it's worth noting, too, that the only other running back, like just how good he was specifically at his position, the only other running back was D'Angelo Williams out of Memphis, and he was all the way down at seventh. And then Jerome Harrison out of it was Washington kind of State. Even a fullback for night. Washington State at the time, too. So Exactly. Ah, uh, man. To beat out Vince Young, Brady Quinn, even AJ Hawk. I mean, beating him out for the Heisman. I know he's a defensive player, but that's Elvis Doomerville as well. Right. And I know RG three beat out Andrew Luck, but nobody's gonna win it on the West Coast ever again because the media sucks. And two Wisconsin guys on this list, right? It's, I, I don't know. It, this is really close for me. I want to say Reggie Bush is the better player. I'm in an interesting spot here, right? Because you guys need my vote if we are going to push on Reggie Bush. And there's a little bit of bias on my part. You know, we talk about all the time, those players that leave the impact on you as you're first starting to get serious about watching football and, and watching these things. That was Reggie Bush for me, right? Coming up, growing up. Yeah, I watched a little bit of football, but, you know, before I was, you know, 12, 11 at the time, really didn't watch it too much. Definitely not really that much on Saturdays. I was always busy doing hockey and some other stuff. But Reggie Bush had made an impact on me in 2004 when he should have won it the first time. And then again in 2005, man was absolutely electric and RG3 was fantastic. I remember his season, but it doesn't stick out to me the way that Reggie Bush's does. And that lasting impact, even if it's just personal to me, but that lasting impact that I know Reggie Bush had would carry him on for me here. So I guess that does it. Reggie Bush moving on, huh? I guess so. Wow. Twitter, I, I swear we love you guys. <laughs> Man, this is why this bracket's so much fun, though, having these kind of conversations. Reggie Bush v. RG3. I mean, my goodness. 
Hey, they don't work for the same company, though, so I think they'd be okay with it. <laughs> uh, I have one that might be even more fun for you guys here. Uh, we've got Tony Dorsett, the running back out of Pittsburgh in 1976, taking on Johnny Football Manziel himself, the quarterback out of Texas A&M in 2012. See, Twitter, I told you I love you. Twitter went with Tony Dorsett. Where are you guys at? Justify it all you want to, bug. Tony Dorsett's moving on. <laughs> uh, I'm going with Johnny Manziel because he is my favorite Heisman winner. Uh, one of my favorite football players ever. I still remember so much of his Heisman season. It's just implanted in my brain. Uh, maybe if Manti Teo didn't have a fake girlfriend, he wins. And we're talking about Manti Teo versus Tony Dorsett. But that's not the case right now. So, you know, I'm going with Johnny Manziel. You guys are going to move on. Tony Dorsett, I have no problem with it. There's just my my issue here and why it was going to be really hard to convince me to go Manziel, if, even if Doug had gone Johnny Manziel. The reason it was going to be really hard to pull me over is we have made a point of the impact these guys have had on and off the field. Yeah, Johnny Football was electric to watch in college, but just personality-wise, just the way he carried himself does not measure up to any of the other guys that we're talking about, which actually does lead me into our next matchup. We have John Capaletti, the running back out of Penn State in 1973, taking on Frank Sinkwich, the halfback out of Georgia in 1942. Guys, Frank Sinkwich took 100% of this vote. What do you guys think? I think Veterans Day is coming up, and we had a picture of a guy accepting the Heisman Trophy in his Marine dress blues. And I can't blame you for taking Frank Sinkwich in this situation. I probably do, too. The man had 17 touchdowns on the ground in 1942. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> to come right out of Georgia into the Marine Corps. That's pretty awesome too, man. I yeah. John Capaletti had a pretty good season. But pretty good doesn't stack up to you know a couple of things going your way like Frank Sink, which has. So I know it's not purely a football reason there, but with comparable statistical seasons, both had 17 touchdowns. I mean yeah, Capaletti had more yards, but he played in more games and he played in a different era, right? We're talking about 30 whole years later. Frank Sinkwich is probably the better player. And, I mean, maybe Capaletti is a great guy, but I know Frank Sinkwich is a Marine, so helps him out too. Hey, sometimes the jarheads need a win, and this will be one of them for him. But that brings us to our final matchup of the week. We have Lamar Jackson, the quarterback out of Louisville in 2016, taking on Tom Harmon, the halfback out of Michigan in 1940. So we got new school versus old school with Twitter voting new school. Where are you guys at? So this is the almost the exact opposite of what I was just talking about there, right? We have... Uh, we had comparable statistical seasons in the last matchup. This matchup, we just really don't. I'm going to be real. Lamar Jackson had so much of a better season. I really want you to convince me to vote Tom Harmon. Do you have a great reason for me to do so, Bug? Um, 
Lamar Jackson did it in today's game. And when you look at the numbers Tom Harmon had in 1940, it's not all that impressive, but he did what Lamar Jackson did 1940 style. I mean, Lamar Jackson did it better though. <laughs> Let's be real. Look, we're not going to just move on all the great war heroes that won the Heisman Trophy. This is still a football podcast. I understand not wanting to move on Tom Harmon because, man, Lamar Jackson absolutely did have a better season. He was and is the better athlete. I'm going to give my vote to Tom Harmon because he he absolutely doesn't deserve to be swept here. I agree with that for sure. That's 100% valid, but like you already stated there, Bug, Lamar Jackson is moving on, and that concludes this round of bracket time. Just to run down our matchups next time we come to this side of the bracket, we can say that now because we're not divided into sections, we're into halves. We have Joe Burrow, quarterback out of LSU in 2019, taking on Eddie George, the running back out of Ohio State 1995. We've got Charles Woodson, the, you know, honestly, all over the field, player from Michigan in 1997, taking on Derrick Henry, the running back at Alabama in 2015. Reggie Bush is going to take on Tony Dorsett. Frank Sinkwich is going to take on Lamar Jackson. Guys, this is getting very interesting, and I'm loving the mix of old school and new school we have moving on here. Me too. That's what this bracket's all about, man. We're getting down to the wire. I think we are going to finish this one up right as the Heisman ceremony is going on this season. Looking forward to it. And the podcast is no mo. Luckily, it was a good one while it lasted because I certainly had a great time talking about some football with you guys. I am pretty confident you guys had a good time talking about some football as well. So why don't we kick out some links to these fellas, folks, and friends who've been listening attentively? And why don't we go ahead and pass out some parting shots and then we will be along our merry way. All right, guys, for the links, we have patreon.com slash BDT football, twitter.com slash BDT football, facebook.com slash BDT football. You got BDT football.com and then our email mailbox at BDT football.com. And just in case I said those too fast for you because I speak really fast, I will link them in the description below. Yeah, so like I said, I normally run the social media. I don't know how much I'm going to be on it this weekend. I'm going to be completely honest, especially college football on Saturday here. But we'll see. Time will tell. Uh, I also just released that article about how the American Athletic Conference has survived this round of conference realignment here. And uh, go check it out, bdtfootball.com. Spent a decent amount of time on it. Didn't get around to updating everything that I said I was going to or wanted to, but it still does the trick there. And uh, as always, I'm going to leave you on Thursday, Saturday, with uh, with a joke. And uh, I have a question for you guys. Where did Mary go after the explosion? Everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Bingo. Jesus Christ. (laughs) All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is all the time we have on the show today. Thank you for listening. And once again, you can't win a game if you can't win the trenches.